We've been in a series about the vision of Heart of the City called I Am the Heart. Can you say I Am the Heart? I am the heart. Yeah, we even have t-shirts that say it. And it's all about why we do what we do and who we are. So our primary vision or, or, or mission statement here is to be a people after God's own heart. And that comes from the description in the scriptures of David. He was a man after God's own heart. And that purpose is really twofold. He's a man after his heart in the sense that he's chasing after his heart. We want to be a people chasing after the heart of God, but we also want to people be a people after his heart in the sense of we take after our father. Does that make sense? We want to be, we want to be chasing him and we want to be like him. I think that's pretty cool. I can get behind that. I don't know about you. And then we, we express that desire through four different ways. We want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so far, you've heard about knowing God, and you've heard about finding freedom. And I want to talk to you about discovering purpose, kind of. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. We're going to be in two primary passages tonight, Exodus 3 and Judges 6. Are you so excited to hear the word of the Lord? Ooh, I love his word. I love, no, I love his word. No, I love his word. You, you, you guys, you, you, you love his word. Let me tell you. Love isn't just, okay, um, dude, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to try and stir up feelings right now. I'm not telling you to, to, to try and, and, and conjure something. I'm telling you, you value his word. You orient yourself toward his word. You submit to his word. Oh, and you will love his word. I'm just, oh man, I wish, there's so many secrets that I, I wish I could just dwell on this all day. That's a whole sermon. That's a sermon series, but we're not going there. Exodus 3, first. Exodus is the second book of the Old Testament, pretty early there, right, right, right from the get-go. It's one of the five books of what is called the Torah, which means law or instruction. It's primarily the story of God delivering Israel from captivity in Egypt, the giving of the law, and the establishment of the tabernacle. Now in Exodus 3, God commissions Moses to go to Pharaoh and essentially command that he let the people of Israel go free. This is a pretty familiar story, hopefully for most of us. Even, even outside the church, like the story of Moses in Egypt is pretty strong. You know, there's like even a cartoon. There's a few cartoons about it. Do you guys remember Prince of Egypt from like the... I haven't seen it in a long time. I can't really speak to the biblical accuracy, but I sure did enjoy that movie when I was a child. Sure did like it. I mean, the haircut was a little, yikes, <laughs> like, like Johnny Depp, Willy Wonka-ish. It's just like, whoa, the soundtrack. Yeah, praise God. Anyway, we stand for the reading of the word. We're jumping into a conversation between God and Moses. Starting in verse 10 of Exodus 3, it's on the Sky Bible. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, this is God now. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Please stay standing. Judges is the seventh book of the Old Testament. And the second of the books of history, just a little bit after the Torah, okay? 
Now in Judges, basically what's being covered is the roughly 400 years between the death of Joshua. Do we know who Joshua is? He's the, the leader who was the successor to Moses, right? So after his death, but before the birth of Samuel. Samuel's an important guy too. He was the prophet who anointed the first king, who was Saul. That didn't go that well. But David went a little, a little better in the, no, I'm just... I'm just playing. But Samuel was a really important figure as well because it was the mark of the end of one type of leadership and into a new type of leadership. Don't have time to talk about that. But the judges were leaders that God raised up. This is what, it's, this is what the scriptures say. God raised up judges to save Israel from the oppressing nations around it, okay? That was the purpose of the judges. They weren't kings. Oh, and how I wish I could get into this. There is a big difference between a judge and a king, and there's a big difference between a judge of today and a judge of then. Oh, man, to live in the time of the judges. You see, God, it was always meant for God to be the king of Israel. God was the only king. Oh, my, okay, we can't go there either. In Judges 6, God commissions a man named Gideon to lead an army of Israelites against the people of Midian. Okay? Starting in verse 14, we're going to see another little similar exchange. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do, I, do not I send you? That's a weird way of saying that. I'm pretty Yoda-ish. And he said to him, Sorry, Lord. Uh, might have come across a little bit irreverent. It says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians. I love this. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. Whoa. Okay, Lord, you may be seated. Here we go. Wow. Okay. Now, have you ever been in a conversation before? Have you ever been in? <laughs> I'm just trying to get on the same page with you. Let's relate. Have you ever been in a conversation before? <laughs> Have you ever been in a conversation before where, you know, you said something and it's very clear by the way that the person responds to you that they did not understand you? <laughs> Careful. Careful, my friend. <laughs> I love you, Logan. You're so amazing. Oh. You see, for me, uh, for some of you, I think it's probably hard for all of us when that happens. When we communicate with someone, we ask a question or we make a statement and they get back to us and we're like, were you even in, are you here? Were you in the same room when I was just speaking? You know, that's, that's a good reason why we use reflective listening. All of you who went to the marriage retreat know about that. Nevertheless, see, I'm, I'm what you would call a... Um, a clarity fiend. And I meant to use that word, and I don't think it's an overstatement. I'm a clarity fiend. And um, I have a tendency to overclarify, then overclarify, and overclarify. And everyone else in the room is going, it's very clear. And I'm going, it's a bit vague. <laughs> it's a bit vague. And if you've ever been in a meeting with me before where I say something and then a person responds in a way that made it seem like they don't understand me and then what I do after that, I mean, it, it can be regrettable for everyone in earshot. It can be a very painful experience. So I really am able to empathize, I think, 
with both Moses and Gideon in this situation. Because they ask a question, and then it seems like the way that God responds, it was like, that really, that's not what I asked. It goes something like this. I want to look at the progression of these two conversations, and you'll understand more what I mean. God commissions them, okay? Moses and Gideon, remember? They respond with a question about their lack of qualification and essentially their identity. And then God responds, but I will be with you. Moses, lead my people out of Egypt. That was God. Who am I? But I will be with you. Okay. Gideon, go up against the Midianites with the armies of Israel. How can I do this? I'm the weakest in the, what does it say? The weak, I'm the weakest in the least, but I'll be with you. So there's this pattern that we see, and we notice that it's almost like God isn't directly answering their questions. It's almost like that. And I can almost picture in my mind's eye that with the statement and the answer that God is giving, he's going, mm, wrong question. Mm, wrong focus. Now, what is God wanting to get across here with these answers? Could it be that he's answering these questions in such a peculiar way because he's trying to send a message and that human beings can be a bit dense at times, including myself? By the way, these aren't isolated incidents. If you look throughout the scriptures, when there is a commissioning that takes place, what often is paired with it is God commissions. He tells them what they need to do. And then he goes, I'll be with you. It's, it's an interesting thing. He does it with Abraham, does it with Jacob. He does it with Joshua. So why is God so intent on communicating about his being with or his presence with a person whenever he commissions them? In order to answer that question, I want to ask us to consider a little, a little bit bigger question. By the way, Mariah, I just feel like God is just burning a hole through my heart right now. And uh, I hope this is okay. This may not be what you're used to, but I just felt like the Lord wanted to tell you that you are not just the sister of someone who's on fire for God. You're, you're not meant to live in this place of like, oh yeah, my brother, he's like, he's like a, he's like a Jesus freak. I'm like a, I'm like a Jesus, like pretty normal, but I just, I felt like the, I, even in the midst of, of praise and worship, I felt, I saw the Lord lighting you on fire. And I'm telling you, this is for real, Mariah, it's for you. And you have, you have some decisions to make. And, and I mean this all oh, in such a loving way. I just felt the heart of God over you that there is literally nothing standing in your way from being a radical for Jesus. And I feel like tonight's your night and, and all you have to do is say yes to be a radical for Jesus. Now, now I know you're a believer. I know you're saved. I know, I know that you love the Lord, but I'm saying that there's a call upon you and it is no lesser than the call upon your brother. It is no lesser than the call upon your brother. He has given you words to speak and he has put a fire in your belly, a chutzpah, to speak his truth, to speak his word and to convict and to reprove and to reach people who are so broken. You have been forgiven much and you love much and he can use that 
Do you receive that? Can we extend our hands toward Mariah real quick? Father, we lift up Mariah to you right now, and I thank you. She's actually my neighbor. Isn't that cool? We lift her up to you right now, and we say yes and amen over her life. Oh, Lord, we pray that tonight would be a standing stone, a standing stone for her to remember the night you lit her on fire, almost like Mariah's own personal Pentecost tonight. Tongues of fire, Lord, over her head. Lord, we pray that she would never be the same, that she would boldly proclaim. I pray, I don't know what her past is with you, Holy Spirit, but I just pray for a fresh filling right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come upon her in fullness in Jesus' name. That she would be a radical. She'd be a Jesus freak. There ain't nothing moderate, mediocre, lukewarm, nothing about her. Jesus freak in Jesus' name. Amen. Let it be so. Okay. There was a sermon happening. So in order to answer the question, what, why is God so intent about communicating his presence and his being with people when he commissions them? And the question that that leads me to as I ask that question is, what is the reason for people? Why did he create human beings? Now, why, why, does, why, does, why do we have to answer that question in order to answer the question about why it's so important that he communicates being with you? Well, just give me a minute. Now, there are probably a lot of answers going around when I, when I say that, because I hear we, a lot of times we see the purpose of humanity through our lens that is our gift or our call. So I hear the apostles and the evangelists saying, our purpose is to reach the world. Yeah. <laughs> I hear the teachers, our purpose is to mature into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I hear the shepherds, our purpose is to love one another. And I hear the prophets, our purpose is to call people to holiness. And to all of those things, I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Those are all a part of why we're here. But will you, will you come with me a little deeper? Just a little deeper. Why does God want us to reach the world? Why does he want us to mature? Why does he want us to love one another? Why does he want us to be holy? You see, although all those are wonderful and beautiful purposes, I'm going to make a suggestion that they are derivative purposes, secondary purposes that flow out of a primary purpose. Why would he want us to do all those things? Have you considered that each of those things allows for and cultivates something very specific? Think about, think about those purposes. And is that specific thing not that he might be with us and that we might be with him now and always. Could it be that that is what God was trying to get across to Moses and to Gideon when he answered them so interestingly, but I'll be with you. That amidst all their insecurities and feelings of inadequacy and questioning their identity, he was saying this, the most important part of who you are is that I'm with you. Now, I'm asking these questions today because we live in a society that is utterly obsessed with identity. 
There's a trend in our culture to categorize almost every element of who we are and then try to define ourselves based on those different elements. Have you noticed? And we do all this with this underlying hope that exists within every person, this underlying hope that we might discover the answer to this gnawing question, who am I? We're so intent on answering this question that many of us are willing to bend truth or even detach from reality in order to convince ourselves and other people of who we are. Now, when I'm saying these things, you might be thinking that I'm only talking about issues of gender and sexuality, but those current hot topics are merely symptoms of an identity crisis that humanity has been facing since long before you or I were born. Feel me, symptoms. I recently went and saw this cool movie called Jesus Revolution. Now, feel me. I'm usually not like totally 100% like all in with Christian made movies. Just feel me. Okay. I support them and I think that they have a wonderful cause. But a lot of times the artistry is, oh, help us. But it's getting better. It's getting better. And I honestly, I loved this movie. I... Um, I'm not, I'm not doing like a review. I'm not trying to endorse it. That's not the point. In one scene, there's an actor who I love. Oh my gosh. His name's Jonathan Rumi. And he is like, dude, the spirit of Jesus and the joy of the Lord on his smile. I'm like, now, yes, I understand that he plays Jesus in the chosen and, but there's a place to separate those two things and to understand that this, this cat has been with God. That's what I see when I, anyways, I'm not talking about Jonathan Rumi either. He plays a guy named Lonnie Frisbee, who was a real person. And uh, he was a radical hippie evangelist. And uh, in, the, in the movie, he's talking about how the young people of the 60s and the 70s were doing psychedelic drugs because they were searching for God. And then he summarizes his thoughts by saying, they're searching for all the right things in all the wrong places. And I couldn't help but reflect on the issues that we're facing today and recall the words of Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. We're still searching for the same thing, just in a different wrong place. Now, feel me, because I, I don't want you to misunderstand me. By no means am I trying to say that we should not search for identity and purpose. That's not, that's, that's not where I'm coming from. On the contrary, in many ways... Now this one, please just, just let this one sink in for a minute before you instantly think that I'm saying something that's totally non-scriptural. Just, just pause for a minute. On the contrary, in many ways, I would submit to you that the search for identity and purpose is the search for God. It just gets off track so quickly when we think that the beginning of that search is inward or to the surrounding culture rather than upward to the definer. See, Moses looked to his shady past. Did you know he was a murderer? Whoa. And he looked to his inability to speak well. He said he was slow of speech. Gideon looked to his family history and his social status. They were asking the wrong questions. And if there's ever been a time that has been full of wrong questions, 
It's right now. Now we come to the table seeking to answer questions about ability and wealth and fame and race and gender and status and sexuality and political ideology. And I hear the Lord redirecting us ever so gently, just as he did with Moses, Moses and Gideon, as we come with all those questions. But I'll be with you. What, God? Th- thanks, God. But I- I'm not sure you quite understood the question. <laughs> you see, I'm trying to figure out me. <laughs> There was, I, you know, my, my, uh, my therapist told me I need to discover myself. <laughs> Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Somebody needs to hear that in this house. You see, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who I am, my identity and my purpose and my reason for being here. So I'm so glad that you're with me, but could you give me a little more to work with? Will we respond that way? (laughs) Or will we hear God's response and realize that he is showing us that who we are flows from who he is? Will we listen and understand that our purpose is found in his presence? Will we accept the truth that our highest call, our highest call, our highest call is to commune with him? And that every other mission and vision and assignment and purpose finds its source in that communion. If you'll go with me for a moment, I want to take you back even further than Gideon and Moses. Before Abraham or Noah or even Adam. Will you close your eyes? I want to take you back to before sin entered the world before there was a need for restoration or redemption, before there was a need for us to be on a mission to make things right, there was God. And he was in community. Yahweh, Yeshua, Ruach HaKodesh. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three, Together, one. And the Lord said, let us make man in our image. The all-sufficient one, the Alpha and Omega, who had no need or lack, he wanted something. He wanted to create beings that were similar to him in some profound way. And he wanted to be with them. And so he spoke, and the community of God expanded. Of course, we know that things almost immediately went awry, and these humans that God created in his image were, in a very real sense, estranged from him through a breach of trust. But his desire and intent had not changed. God wanted to be with them. And so he pursued his image bearers, the humans, with covenant after covenant after covenant, always coming through on his end of the agreement with full knowledge 
that these humans would fail to come through on theirs. But God's heart had not changed. He was intent on being with them. Finally, at the culmination of time, God presented humanity with a final covenant that was different from every other covenant before. He would give of himself, a member of the original community, the son, Jesus, as the sacrifice to cover every breach of trust from human past, present, and future. He simply would not be deprived of being with us. And he paid the highest price imaginable to make that possible. Now it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the concept of timelessness because in this life, we are bound in time. But it's a simple thing to God because he is timeless. So I'm going to ask you to use your imagination even more. If you can, think of God's conversation with Moses and Gideon, along with Abraham and Jacob and so many others, and consider that for God, he had already, in a sense, experienced the death and resurrection of Jesus. The ultimate reconciliation of humanity to himself was already present for him. Now with that in mind, consider how meaningful, how precious it was to him when he answered these great heroes of the faith. I will be with you. He didn't misunderstand their questions. He knew exactly where they were coming from and what they were struggling with. And he gave the most appropriate answer that he possibly could. I would submit to you today that God didn't just say, I will be with you to these people to comfort them and inspire them to press on in their mission. He said, I will be with you because it was the most important truth that he could ever share with a person. It's always been and always will be the most important part of what it means to be human. You can open your eyes if you haven't already. So what do we do with that? Well, I would say this to anyone here. If you're struggling with purpose, if you're struggling with knowing who you are or why you are, Perhaps you need to start asking a different question. Maybe like Moses eventually discovered, it's time to start asking God who he is. You see, only a few verses later in the very same chapter in Exodus 3, Moses asked God who he is. And do you remember his answer? I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. Here's the truth. The only place to find who I am is with the I am. 